Welcome to the Smug Film Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Clark. With me today is Chloe Peltier. Hey. 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 All right. Chloe's here today. The topic today is the education of Chloe Peltier. We're going to educate her, or rather, we're going to talk about her education, or I don't know. How do you describe this one? Well, I haven't seen anything. No, I've seen stuff. I've probably seen more than like your average Joe, maybe, but like compared to people at Smug Film, I haven't seen shit. And the more that I listen to the podcast, the more I learn about movies, but the more I realize how few I've seen, it's just kind of overwhelming. Like, I don't really know where to start with it, you know, to like get caught up and everything. And uh, I feel like other people could learn from that because there's probably a lot of other people who feel the same way, you know, because there's just so many movies out there that like we talk about regularly and it's like you want to watch one of them but then you're like oh shit well well that'll lead to me watching another one then I won't get to watch this other one over here because there won't be time for that and all this stuff and it just gets really really nuts you know I used to watch a lot more movies uh in a shorter amount of time when I was in college and stuff I would just kind of go on Netflix and randomly watch whatever but it's like I guess like I got cocky when I was younger and I was like, well, I've seen more than most people because I'd really I'd rated like a thousand things on Netflix or something. So I got like really cocky and then I was like, well, then I can slow down and I slowed down and I kind of like ironically started watching a lot less stuff once I got into doing more stuff like like I started working in a movie theater and started uh, writing for Smug at the same time. And it's like. Those things both are very heavily involved with movies, but I kind of watched a lot less movies. <laughs> so it's like I kind of became like a person who doesn't know shit. And it's almost like my cockiness got the best of me in a way. All right. So you know let's I mean? let's help you know shit, I guess. Um, hmm. Well, movies, uh, there's a lot of different movies in the world. A lot, of, <laughs> a lot of different movies out there. A lot of decades of film. Decades of uh, cinema and uh, genres too, a lot of different, yep. a lot of different genres and uh, countries of origin. You know, a lot of those. Any anywhere where they can make a film, there are uh, you know films that exist in those areas. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You good? But no. <laughs> no. Well, what do you want me to elaborate on? You just told me like where movies exist. That doesn't, I, it's like I said, like I have like more knowledge of, of like what there is than I did before, but I've watched less than before. It's more like the idea of where somebody would begin, you know? And, and a lot of the time I try to begin at what I relate to, but it's like, cause that's just the natural thing to do, I guess. Like I feel more like it's urgent to watch a movie if, if like the character I identify with or something like that. But that only goes so far because what I end up doing is watching all these movies that are just too much like me and then not really expanding myself in any way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, what movies are too much like you? Um, I think you coined the term. It was called Chloe movies, I think. Very, uh, very creative title on my part. Yes. I believe you. you told me I think the first use of it was you told me to watch Cria Cuervos and you said that was the most Chloe movie ever. Right. And then 
after I watched it, I enjoyed it so much that I wrote a piece on it called Crea Cuervos, the most Chloe movie ever. And it is the most Chloe movie ever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a Carlos Sora movie. Great, great movie. Criterion put it out, I think, just on DVD, not on Blu-ray yet. Hopefully one day, maybe a Blu-ray of it. But yeah, it's a 1976 film. So, so good. It, it's one of those ones where it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's not a movie that a lot of people know about still. You know, it's uh, it's still kind of under the radar, even though Criterion put it out. And it's uh, it's a very, very good movie. And very, very Chloe. It was just like all the themes and all the stuff. It just reminded me of you so much. And uh, I guess I was pretty spot on. So that was, yeah, yeah, that was the inaugural Chloe movie. And there have been, yeah, totally. there have been Chloe movies since then, I suppose. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like pretty much all the movies that I write about are in some sense Chloe movies because I'm kind of self-centered and it's kind of weird. But I don't know. Like usually they're just, you know, movies about like, there would be like an introverted character or somebody who's like really in their head, but not in a surrealist way, just in a like everyday kind of way where there's not a lot of dialogue. They're just kind of going through their lives like rehearsals is a Chloe movie, um, even though like it's not just one person. It kind of is in a way because right. of the way the story's told. And then, you know, just stuff like um, like Casper, like I relate a lot to Christina Ricci's character in that. And then there's you know, phenomena because the girl is kind of the way that she analyzes things and um, her little interaction with the world. And even uh, Jack, which I talk about oh my like, God. all the fucking time. Again like, with the Jack. Yeah. <laughs> I believe you had a quote that was, uh, you haven't seen Jack shit, but you have seen Jack comma shit. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's what I'm talking about, though. Like, yeah, you haven't, you haven't seen a ton of classics what would be called classics are termed uh you know important films for cinema or whatever but you've you've seen certain movies that are kind of ones that aren't really appreciated and you and you adore them like you come on you love jack yeah jack is great that's that's a that's a favorite jack Jack, by the way if you if you're not familiar that's the uh, francis ford coppola movie from the mid 90s with robin williams and he plays a boy that like ages really quickly. And uh, yeah, it's got like 10% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. <laughs> That's really sad because like it's really well done. Like, I mean, it's not really enjoyable to watch because it's just so sad. It is a sad like, movie. I'll give it that. It doesn't take like a, a disrespectful route. You although know, it, it's also funny. Yeah, it's got funny parts. But yeah, it never shies away from the fact that this disability is kind of sad. Yeah. I'm looking at the, uh, you know where you go on Rotten Tomatoes and it says like your friend ratings. So it's like the people you're uh-huh. friends with on uh, on Facebook. And three of them gave it three stars. Nice. Yeah. One, <laughs> one of them gave it two. And uh, the other three, they all gave it three stars. So uh, apparently I know people who like Jack and you're not even counted in that. That's uh, These are three well, yeah, people that are not you. Because I guess you haven't rate, rated on, on Rotten Tomatoes. but I don't really get on there. That's like, kind of cool. That I don't get on there? Or the, no, that it's that people oh. like it. Jesus <laughs> oh, Christ. <yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> no, um, yeah, it's cool that you're not the only one. And I apparently know three people that like it. And maybe more than that, you know. Does it say who they are? Yeah, it says who they are. I'm not going to call them out. But uh, 
when you act like it's a bad thing like you're not gonna reveal who likes jack like yeah the you know shameful. the pod will go up and they'll be like can you can you cut that part out where you say i like jack <laughs> you know i'm going up for a job interview soon and they're gonna be googling me and i don't want that to come up in there but i like jack oh no <laughs> but uh yeah three three friends all like jack Another one that I love that's a Chloe movie is Harriet the Spy. That's that's hella, that's hella Chloe. See, that's movie. like a, uh, that's one of those ones where everybody knows it, but it just doesn't get enough credit. No, it really doesn't, but it's fucking psychological, man. So, yeah, again, a mid-90s movie. It's got, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now. It's got 48% and it's like 51% with audience, which I think it's got to be higher than that. I mean, just globally, you know? People just don't want to admit it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the production design is great. Everything's very lived in. I just yeah. like the look of it. I like the vibe of it. I don't, I don't get why people would badger it. Well, it's like they assume that because it's a movie from their childhood, it's not going to hold up or something, I guess. You know, maybe yeah. that's it. I mean, I'm just, I'm probably assuming too much of people, but it's got to be a movie people like haven't it. seen in ages. And I'm looking at the friend ratings right now and it's too negative, uh, star you know it's one star and then two and a half stars from two friends of mine both of them people that liked jack so Dude, there's what the fuck so there's no rhyme or reason to this they're gonna admit that they like jack but they're not gonna admit that they like harriet the spy yeah man well i guess they really <laughs> i guess they didn't like harriet the spy well i don't know what do you mean you don't I, know well, you calling my friends liars i i don't i just think that like there's a lot of uh movies that you see when you're younger and you either they either hold up or they don't and like i think that it's like what happened with uh recently you know i showed you the incredible mr limpet i thought it was gonna hold up and it didn't fucking hold piece up piece of shit yeah you hated that Awful. shit and rightly so yeah like, go back had, and listen to that limpet episode if uh yeah. you want to hear us trash that <laughs> It's like I hadn't seen it in years. I thought it was going to hold up because it was nostalgic for me. It didn't fucking hold up. And uh, that happens a lot, you know, and it's kind of embarrassing. It's like because I haven't seen a lot of stuff like the stuff that I saw when I was younger, I kind of value more because like it's so intertwined with who I am or whatever. So it's like it's like then I realize later that it sucks and I'm like, oh, God damn it. Like it's like I can't trust myself, you know, and then but then on the other end of it, it's like. There's stuff that like is legitimately good, but people don't give credit like Harriet the Spy or Casper. Well, or, they lump it um, in with the pile with the rest of the stuff that they feel burned on, you know, then all their their childhood favorites kind of go into this one pile of dismissal. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we we've talked recently about our love of Batman and Robin. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that, you know, I liked when I saw it initially. I enjoyed thoroughly. And then, of course, it immediately gets trashed and trashed. And uh, I came around to it again. I was just like, I'm in the mood to check this one out. And I did. And I was like, holy shit, this is the best one. Totally. This is the best goddamn Batman movie. Because yeah, it's, it's the vibe that I want. You know what I mean? It's not the vibe that a lot of people want. And I'll give it that. But it's it's what I want out of a Batman movie. And that's it. That's the one. That's the one where I get that. Yeah, I agree. Um, the only thing that's more Batman to me is like, you know, the animated series, of course. Sure, but, but like, in a different direction. Yeah, but even so, it's like this cartoonish vibe. And it's like, it's like uh, the Batman and Robin is like that. It's like a live action exaggerated 
Well, it's you know, it very, yeah, it's it's harkening back to the '60s Batman TV show. Yeah, that too. It's it's yeah. if, it's if you were going to do that in the '90s, there's Batman and Robin. So yeah, Batman totally. and Robin, would you call that a Chloe movie? Because I guess you know Poison Ivy in it is is your typical. I really like her. That's your Chloe protagonist that you uh, appreciate when it comes to uh, Chloe movies. I would say that there's some movies that have parts that are Chloe-ish, but they're not. Mostly, I just love them just for the sake of them, and then I, there's parts I relate to, but for the most part, I just enjoy them. It seems um, like I you like really having a, a Chloe movie. It seems like you like having a character to latch on to that you relate yeah. to, which yeah, I think I is do. a natural inclination for a lot of people, but one that they may not be as uh, confident about stating. You know what I mean? I think. A lot of people feel that way, but who's going to be like, hey, I like movies where it's a character that's like me, you know? Yeah, because people don't want to sound, you don't want to sound self-centered. Yeah, it sounds narcissist, but it's not, Yeah, you know? It's like, you know, you're hearing different types of stories, but it's like, yeah. you, start, you just like a certain outlook. You like a certain character with a certain vibe, and that's fine, you know? It's like, I, I like... Mean, I like Steven Seagal movies for that that similar reason. At least the uh, you know first eight or nine or ten or however before they start getting really really bad. But I like that idiosyncratic quality of Seagal that I I relate to on this this level that I I don't know that I could you know accurately describe or explain. But there's just something about his vibe in those movies and his weird quirks and his weird interests that he like injects into the vibe of his character that I relate to and I like seeing. And it, that's not something I could really uh, convey to others, I guess. I know what you mean. And that's part of it is like when you are kind of a, a person who feels like they don't relate to a lot of people, like it's like you, when you find movies that uh, you relate to, it's kind of this feeling of, oh, cool, I can show these to other people and then maybe they'll understand me a little bit more. Yeah, you know, or understand yourself a bit better too. That too, yeah. And then uh, some of them are like transitional. It's like because obviously, you know, every movie, no matter whether you relate to it or not, you're gonna you're gonna be able to if it's good, you're gonna be able to get inside the characters' heads and see outlooks that maybe you didn't have before, or maybe part of you has, or whatever. And you know, obviously, like it goes without saying that movies expand your pers your perspective and. Um, like, I think that, like, yeah, I start with, like, the ones that I relate to based on my experiences and everything and, like, the way that I feel. But then I'm also obviously able to watch ones that aren't exactly like me and still relate to them, you know, and I don't know. It seems like you're more inclined towards uh, self-discovery and self-reflection, and that's what gears your um, the movies that you gravitate towards. Like, it's less important to you right now to get like a wide range of cinema you know whether you relate to it or not just to see what's out there and more mm -hmm. a thing where you just want to explore certain themes like yeah, again yeah. and again and 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 ruminate yeah but at the same time i don't want to do that to the point where it's all i have because i don't want to kind of only have my own perspective you know like i don't want to like be stuck yeah, I mean, I guess it's not really, but I just, it would be like just only talking to myself and not talking to other people in a way, you know, like, because sure. kind of like, I mean, you have to admit that, uh, you're going to be different from yourself in any number of years. Like, uh, like your opinions and like perspective are going to change even in a very short time. I mean, I know mine have for sure. Like, but what's cool is like movies like that have kind of 
I relate to them no matter what my age is or where I am in my life, kind of. Right, because it's um, deeper than anything superficial or anything that would change. It's like a a core thing. Yeah, it's soul-based. So to bring it back to the education of Chloe Peltier, me and my uh, expertise, however limited, but larger than your scope, I suppose, how can I help you delve into more films? Like what, I'm at your service, what do you want? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like you already introduced me to a lot of stuff that I've really enjoyed. You seem to like pick up on what's up my alley like quite a lot. Probably, even though I haven't watched a lot of stuff in like the last like year or two, just the stuff that I have watched has been so much more meaningful to me than like a lot of the shit I've watched in my whole life. Well, maybe so that's the like, problem. Maybe I'm gearing them too specifically towards you and I should be showing you stuff that I think is great and maybe has a good reputation and is important on these, you know, specific objective levels as far as the history of film or whatever, but that you may not enjoy, but it's still worth watching or something, you know? I don't know. I think there's a middle ground to it. Like there's movies that I like relate to on a certain level, but also and enjoy a lot, like their little their little uh, quirks and stuff, but like don't feel like they're just like about me. Like Eric Schaefer's movies specifically, like you, I mm-hmm. watched his entire filmography because like you were writing about that and I enjoyed that a lot, but I don't know if I'd call them Chloe movies. Yeah, that's like, a good point. Well, just like a lot of st- just to use a director as an example, if I were to pick out a De Palma Chloe movie, I would choose Sisters. That would be my choice as far as a Chloe movie that's De Palma. So you're going to get a taste of what De Palma is all about. You know, it's not necessarily one of his most famous films. Criterion put it out, but they put it out like ages ago. And it's just not a, it's a movie that people that love it really, really love it. I think it's fantastic, but it's not one of those ones that's like the untouchables or Scarface or whatever that are, you know, his big films. But that would be the most Chloe example. But on the flip side, maybe I should also recommend you one that's a bit less Chloe, you know? Like even like Carrie would be a, a Chloe movie too, but uh, maybe you need to see non-Chloe movies. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, I've like thought about going about seeing movies in like so many different ways. Like whenever I'm listening to the podcast, part of me just wants to go back, re-listen to all of them and jot down every single movie I hear. And then if anybody says that one of them is essential viewing, like put a star next to it or something, Another thing I've wanted to do that seems like now I realize is kind of a crazy thing to do. So I haven't done is make like, like the way that the way that movies lead to other movies because of the actors in them or the directors in them or the, or um, like the themes they have or whatever the time period, like I've wanted to like make like a giant fucking map of them and just like see what relates to what, because I think it's just like this fear that I'm going to get led down this rabbit hole and like only go in one direction, kind of like I have with like the movies that I relate to specifically and just not explore a wide enough range of them. Well, do you feel like you've seen enough Chloe movies for a while at this point? mm, Yeah. Well, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I think that I could, it would probably the healthiest approach would probably be to watch more that are just considered like essential viewing by like people I know like yourself like I talk to you a lot so like I like to watch ones that you consider to be essential like maybe favorites of yours or whatever because like 
then I have more to talk to you about or like anyone else uh, on the podcast or yeah, whatever. People's, people's essentials, I think, say a lot about yeah. them specifically. So it's a good it's way to get to of, know people more. It's like just really hard to relate to people when you haven't seen that much. And it's a lot easier when um, you have like seen things because it's it's almost like you don't realize how much in life people reference the things that they've seen. And um, it gets to the point where you feel like kind of an alien because like even at work, like I'll be talking to people and they'll just be like, you haven't seen what? Like this whole time I've been talking to you, I've been referencing this movie and like whatever. So it's just like I think maybe stuff that like helps me relate to other people in a way um, would help. Well, I remember, you know, when we did the episode in 1979 with uh, Frank Santa Padre, you know, you, you texted me after you were listening to it. You're like, I've seen like two and a half of these. Yeah. And, and like named, I had, I was lost. We, we named like maybe 70 goddamn movies or something. Like that was yeah. a dense fucking episode. Yeah. I felt like, like, I mean, I could follow it because you guys are good at, at like describing shit. And because I've, having heard the other episodes, like, I've got, like I said, I've got this idea in my mind of like what's going on because like you guys describe like the relevance of all of them so well. But when it gets to the point where it's just like naming off like people who, who've worked on film and like movies in their historic context, it gets to the point where I like it's like I'll be thinking about one movie and then another one will be mentioned and I'll not even hear what's going on because I'm because I'm still thinking about what that was and. You know, well, have you so seen it, uh, have you seen Days of Heaven? Oh, that is one of the ones that I've thought of seeing next. Um, yeah, because that's but, one we mentioned on that episode. You know, yeah, it's not one, a, it's not a film from 1990. I'm sorry, from 1979. But it's a we were talking about Nestor Almendros. And that's really a very uh, crucial one to see for his cinematography. Yeah, that one has been mentioned to me for years and I've been meaning to see it for years. And um so I think you need yeah. to see that one. And yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't heaven. call that a Chloe movie. I would call it a Chloe movie as far as the look of it and certain right. vibes within it. But overall, I just wouldn't call it a Chloe movie. It's not like Crea Cuervos where you're going to be like, yep, that's everything I've ever dealt with in life. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good, though, because it's like... For me, like, aesthetics are really important. Like, if I, if I can't look at it, I don't really want to watch it. You yeah, know? you need like, at least something to hold on to. There has to be something on some level that keeps you watching whatever it is you're watching. Like, I think that's a, that's a very crucial thing that often goes overlooked when it comes to, uh, you know, very academic approaches to watching a lot of films is that you're suddenly you're watching like Citizen Kane because, oh, well, I have to see Citizen Kane. Exactly. But if you don't, don't if there's that. nothing in Citizen Kane that you dig, you're not going to appreciate it on any real level. Like it's. It's one of those movies, for one thing, it's a very teachable movie because it employs a lot of techniques that are very teachable. You can point to things very specifically and be like, all right, well, they're doing this because of that. And all right, well, this, you know, a lot of people took this and then use that. Like it's, it, it works for an academic setting. You know, we were talking in the, uh, the Monsters uh, Dark Continent episode, you know, that's a, that's a movie that isn't teachable because it's very impulsive and it's very instinctual on a level where Citizen Kane is is more of a meticulous film. You know, I would yeah. say that uh, a good number of Wes Anderson's work is uh, visually very meticulous, but then the actual story and the actual vibe is very uh, instinctual. 
So it would be difficult to teach his films in the same way it would be to teach Citizen Kane because there isn't like that synthesis of uh, teachability on every possible level. And, you know, that's that's called one of the best films ever made, but it's really, it's the best film ever made as far as teaching it in the classroom, which I don't personally see as like a great, wonderful, awesome, like amazing thing. Like I don't hold it, I don't look for films that, are teachable. That's not, and I don't think a lot of people do either. And that's, I think the problem people have, like people like you who want to watch more films and want to see like all the great films of all time, that's a pitfall a lot of the times. And that's a, it sort of impedes the progress because you, you end up watching these very teachable films and you're not relating to them at all. And yeah. you just get thrown off track and you're like, all right, well, fuck that shit. Yeah, I agree. And I've already watched a lot of the more teachable ones like i've watched a lot of you know your the stuff that gets talked about constantly like hitchcock and kubrick and and chaplin i watched all of chaplin's stuff i mm -hmm. was obsessed with him for a while i've got i've watched um a lot of lars von trier and takashi Miike and uh some spike jones stuff like shit like that i've seen it's just um like you said like i relate to it on a level and it's like visceral and stuff but it's not um I really, you know, I'm a person and movies about are about people. So I want to like, I want, it's more about like, um, feeling on a personal level. Like I can, I can feel something about it than mm -hmm. about any of that. And, um, that's, I mean, I've said it a million times, but that's why I like smug film, but I don't really re read other review shit is just because other review shit is like grading stuff on a set of criteria. Whereas smug film is like each one of us has a perspective and is grading the movie more based on like how how it like is relevant to people you know right. and and how it can teach someone something or make people feel something that, that that you wouldn't feel if the movie wasn't made like that you couldn't just explain like you were saying about Seagal you can't just explain why you relate to him really you know and mm -hmm. uh so like that's why I want to watch the shit I don't want to I don't want to just like Fit some criteria or whatever. Well, like for example, know? if I were to write about Citizen Kane for the site, I probably wouldn't wouldn't really write about Citizen Kane other than the fact that I would write about the thing that I dug the most of it, which is like exactly the dissolves in the beginning of the film, like the opening shots that like dissolve into each other. That's that's it for me. Like I'm good. Like I can sit down and watch that, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. And I, I'm I'm not bad mouthing the film in any way. I do enjoy the film. I think it's a great film, but that's the most Cody thing I could pick out and talk about. You know, yeah. and another example, Aguirre, the, the Wrath of God, fantastic film, so so good, one of the best performances I've ever seen in my life. But if I were to write about Aguirre, I'd probably write about the opening shots of it. That would be my piece. And well, uh, that would like, be my greatest contribution as far as, uh, you know, talking about it, you know? Yeah, that's a good way to put it, your greatest contribution specifically. Yeah, it's like, what can yours. you add as a critic? And I think specifically, I mean, in the Chloe movies you've talked about on the site, because you've written reviews for Phenomena and Crea Cuervos and a number of others, Casper. Flashdance. Flashdance. Yeah, Flashdance. Very, very Chloe movie. One that I recommended yeah. to you and was like, yeah, man, this is this is you. This is up your alley yeah, the, for the sure. Yeah, the like look her. of it, the vibe of the character, the fact that she's 
you know, very three dimensional and she's kind of her own worst enemy, but she has all this ambition as well. Like all these, exactly these introvert, you know, female protagonist who's actually three dimensional kind of things that you just adore. When you write about these films, you're picking out these Chloe aspects. Like somebody could write about Flashdance and only talk about the performance scenes and how amazingly lit they are. And that's a that's an honest chunk of the film. But when you write about it, you're going to be writing about the brownness of the non-performance scenes and you're going to be writing about the vibe of the character. You know, that's that's your angle. So in talking about Chloe movies, you're you're providing a uh, perspective. You know, you're uniting you're uniting a lot of movies that wouldn't necessarily be lumped together like Crea Cuervos and Flashdance aren't going to end up in the same category too often and and you're putting them there. Yeah, and it's like it all might sound narcissistic and everything, but I think that if you believe what you're saying and like it's really coming from, you know, like if you're projecting on something in a way that like it really means something to you, then more people are going to get more out of it. Like I don't see why we would need people to say the same things about movies over and over. Like movies already exist. We don't need somebody to say the same boring like analysis of them. Like it's way better even if you don't relate to that. Even if you're not in the same perspective as that person, like to hear their personal take on it. Like um, there's a lot of people on the site who like I'm very different from that. I'm more likely to watch and have watched a lot of movies because they gave their personal take than anybody who's going to like say anything. Right. I don't care about about them. Yeah. It's like you with know? Armin White. I mean, he gets shit on a lot by the Internet because he's not this in unison, you know, collectivist reviewer where he's he's just parroting what everybody else says. It's like he got in trouble for his his Dark Knight review. I mean, they took down comments on reviews on Rotten Tomatoes because of that, because people just fucking started, you know, attacking him and attacking him in the comments and saying horrible things just because he fucked up the 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes with his negative review of The Dark Knight. And guess what? There's a lot of stuff to not like in The Dark Knight. Stuff yeah. that he pointed out that didn't work for him, but also stuff, you know, that didn't work for me. Like I thought that, you know, the the whole thing with like the fairies and like, is it going to explode or is it not? That felt like something out of like a Spider-Man movie. It didn't feel like something out of like a Batman movie. And there were other aspects I didn't like. I didn't like how Batman was handled. I didn't like how Batman's girl was handled. There, There's all this stuff that like, yeah, it's valid reasons for not liking it, but People get so excited about these films that I, I, you know, I do believe that people that love The Dark Knight genuinely love it, but I don't understand the impulse to get butt hurt because somebody doesn't feel that way. It doesn't take something away from you for somebody to experience something differently. And if anything, it's going to help you watch the movie with fresh eyes. When you watch it yeah. again, you're going to see it from the perspective of Armin White's take on how nihilist it is and how, how wrong that is, or you're going to see it from my perspective or anybody else's perspective, you know, negative reviews, they don't invalidate your experience. They can, they can illuminate in other ways, just like good reviews of, uh, maligned films. You know, I fucking love Mortal Kombat too. And I didn't think that I would, that was a movie that I avoided for decades. And then I saw that very recently and there's a lot to love in that film. It, it's one of the only action movies I can think of that takes the uh, 
action beat every 10 minutes thing all the way to action beat every scene essentially like it, it it's so batshit with that and it's such a a collage of uh different special effects techniques and practical effects and visual effects and a lot of it doesn't work but it's so quick that it just gets away with it and i, I that's a that's an aspect to really appreciate from it and if you go on rotten tomatoes you know it's got like what let me see probably about like six percent that would be my uh guess and loading it right now and three percent all right so i doubled wow <laughs> in my mind i doubled but i'm scrolling down my review of it i gave it four out of five fuck them the stuff that i liked from it that's that's enough for a four out of five for me is it the greatest yeah, film ever made no but the stuff in it that works is is impressive enough that i was able to give it four out of five you know i think people are afraid to uh rate films on their own level too you know, people, yeah. they, somebody will watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation or Batman and Robin or some sort of movie like that. And maybe they like certain aspects of it, but they'll downplay the aspects that they like because they'll be like, all right, well, is it as good as Citizen Kane? Well, I gave Vertigo like four out of five, so I can't give this four out of five. So I guess I'll give it three. <laughs> but I gave, uh, you know, I gave uh, Superman two three. So I didn't like it as much as Superman two. So I guess they'll give it like a two. And then, you know, they keep downgrading and suddenly it's like a movie they didn't like and they completely forget the stuff that they did like about it. Whereas I, if anything, I overrate my own personal enjoyment, which I think is something that I wish more people would actually do. And I think you're, you're, a lot, you're like me in that sense that you're not cynical about your own personal enjoyment of something. Yeah, totally. Like I've, I've actually been having my own personal struggle with uh some movies I'll um I'll like like them, but I can tell that nobody else would. Well, and just I can tell recently you told well made. you told me that you liked uh, American Ultra a lot. That's exactly what I was going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing is I've been it really it's really rough working at the theater sometimes because like I'll change my mind about what I think about movies back and forth over and over because I'll see I'll see like a movie like I'll even sit down and go watch it. And then the the next day I'll be working it and it'll be slow and I'll have to stand in the back and end up watching most of it again. And then I'll see parts of it again and again. And I can't tell if I like it less because I'm just like seeing it too much. So I'm tired of it or something. Or if I like it less because I'm seeing the flaws in it from how much I'm seeing it and like realizing that I was duped or something, you know, or if I like them legitimately and I'm just overthinking it or what. Well, if I watched... If I watched uh, Mortal Kombat 2, like every day, I probably wouldn't like it as much by the end of that week. Exactly. But I think re well, like repetition just kind of like fucks with your own impulse as far as how much you like something because you're not supposed to see it every day for a week. Yeah, you end up kind of seeing through the veil of it to the point where you can't suspend your disbelief anymore. And well, you're every, just like, yeah, every film has that veil. You can totally yeah. overwatch something and you just see all the strings. But I just feel like some movies, though, their veil is so thick. Like, it's like they they're so they hold up so well that no matter how many times you see it, no matter how many times close to each other you see it, you still are like, damn. You know, like I would probably say like maybe Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of those where yeah, it's like. Absolutely. Like That's a great example. I've, yeah, dude. It's like I've loved that movie since I was like maybe 11. And like even if I watched it every day for a week. I probably wouldn't want to be still watching it every day for a week, but I'd still be every time I'd be like, yep, 
good yeah. film. Yeah, and yep. I definitely <laughs> did pretty close to that as a kid. I used to Me watch too, that movie dude. incessantly, <laughs> and uh, I used to watch Tommy Boy like incessantly, and a number of other films. You know, Wayne's World. There are these movies yeah, that yeah, I would no. just keep watching it and watching, and I just adored, man. Yeah, dude. And and it's bother it bothers me that, you know, that happens so much less for me. And I don't think it's just the whole like what you might think it'd be of like, oh, well, you're an adult now, you're less easily fooled. It's like, no, like the ones that I loved, some of them I still love, and it's just it's just like I don't have that experience with very many movies now that I see for the first time that come out. And it's just kind of like kind of makes me a little depressed sometimes, like working at the theater and seeing all these movies come out and then just maybe like one out of every 50 I'll be stoked on. And then occasionally, like what happened with American Ultra was I saw the trailer and yeah, like everybody else was like, oh, it's just a stupid stoner movie. It's not going to be good. But I saw the trailer and I was like, that looks fun as hell. I'm going to go watch that. And like, I rarely sit yeah, down. Yeah, and you and paid to see it. I didn't pay. Oh, I just, didn't pay? I, I, just, I get <laughs> in for free. I know. I but, thought uh, you, uh, I thought that was one of those ones that didn't come to your theater, but I was mistaken. No, no. Uh, well, Chappie like got out of my theater before I could see it. So I went and paid to see that and that was great. But, um, no, like American ultra actually I, I did have a little bit of a, I had to like fight for it kind of because it came out and the day it was going to come out, I was like supposed to be working in it. So I was like, I, uh, did my damnedest to get out of the damn working it so I could go watch it for the first time and not have it fucked up for me. And uh, I managed to like go watch it for the first time. And I just like laughed my ass off. You know, I was just like, this is great. This is awesome. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> like, cause that never happens. Like maybe the last time that that happened to me was like the world's end. And that's like two years ago. Yeah. So yeah. And like, that's one of those ones where every time I walk into it, like when I was working it, it was like, when you know that a movie is good and you've seen it before, you get excited for the audience when you're walking into it, working it. So it's like, I would, I would walk into it. I would hear the beginning theme of the world's end. And I would just like get goosebumps on my arms because I was like, yes, it's starting again. This rules. And like, it never got old, but, uh, with American ultra, it's like, I really enjoyed it while I was watching it. I knew that it was kind of dumb. Like I knew that the plot was kind of like simple and like not very, uh, well thought out, I guess. But like, it just, I don't know. It was just enjoyable. It was almost like innocently enjoyable in a way where it was like, it was like, it wasn't trying too hard like some movies do now. And it wasn't tr like not trying enough like some movies do now. It was kind of just like, we're just going to have a good time, you know? And, um, do you think I that's what turned that people away from it is because maybe it's not what they're, they're used to from movies? Maybe. I don't know. And the thing, I think what really turns people away from it maybe is, okay, one, they expect it to be a stoner comedy because like, that's just like what it looks like. It's just about like a dude who's like a stoner guy. It's like Jesse Eisenberg and his girlfriend played by, um, uh, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. Kristen Stewart. And they're, they're stoners and he works at a gas station and like suddenly he knows how to kill people and he doesn't understand it. And, uh, it's just like the zaniness of that. So, you know, what it looks like is just him being like, whoa, dude, whoa, like the whole time, you know, but I don't know. There's something touching and sweet about it, their relationship. And like, I really like it when like I'm not a stoner now, but I have been before. And I really like it when um, when weed movies aren't really about weed as much as they almost seem like anti weed in a way. Not yeah, like, uh, I, I remember Pineapple Express is kind of like the perfect example of that because 
Apatow thinks it's an anti-weed movie and Rogan thinks it's not, which I, I love that. You know, I think that's yeah. one of the best things that it achieved is that two people that worked on the film can have completely different perspectives on on what it had to say about weed. Yeah, totally. But I just like, I like it when they use weed as like a metaphor for like being like kind of lost and feeling like you're meant for something greater. Uh, that's that's one of, that's really why I like. That's, a, that's very well said, yeah. It's like, it's like the kid in that, it's like he knows that he's meant for something greater, but he can't, he can't express it. And it's really sad. And I think that's something that people go through whether they're high or not. Um, and I think that weed accentuates that. And I right. think that, um, I think that the really good weed movies are about that instead of like about just sitting around like laughing and shit, because the sitting around laughing and shit is escapism from what it really is. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. So that's, that's why I liked American ultra is that and like the relationship in it, but no, it's like, the thing is it's, it's kind of, like I said, the plot is, it looks like somebody could have written it really quickly. Like mm -hmm. it's, it, and the acting is kind of, eh. but like, I like that it's like, nobody knows what to do. It's like, everybody's lost, you know? So you'd and, say it's better than people are giving you credit for, but it's not great. Yeah. I'd give it like probably three out of five, but to me, it meant almost like a four out of five. Because you know it was, I mean? it was something that you were looking for. Yeah. And, right and just like in its rareness right now, like it's really like in this time right now when movies are so shitty to me, it's higher rated because of what it tried. Right. You know, it's like, but I think the best, if we're going to talk about weed movies, like the best one that came out probably in a while was uh, Inherent Vice. Like I loved, I loved Inherent Vice. Like, yeah, that's you're, uh, I mean, that was one that was kind of attacked too. And I, I didn't love it, but I liked it more than a lot of people did. I feel like it had more to it than people were giving it credit for. But yeah, tell us about what you thought about that. Dude, inherent vice. Oh, like I was I was just I was just so happy that it came out. Like, um, and of course we didn't fucking get that one. We got promos of that. We we had like like advanced screenings and like free screenings, but then we never really like showed it regularly, which kind of pissed me off. But um it's it's just like I love the way that it's timed out because it's got this vibe where when you're watching it, you get so absorbed in the visuals and like the just like the beautiful like craziness of it that you forget what the dialogue is saying. And it's almost like you feel like you're not following it because the plot's so crazy. It's like there's a lot going on to follow. Mm -hmm. And um, so that when I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on, but I'm really enjoying this. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to watch this again later, like to understand what happened. And then I get done with the movie and I'm like, oh, shit, well, damn it. I wish that I knew what happened, like, but I really liked it. And then after like a few hours later, it all just hits me what happened. Like, and I totally understand it. And I'm like, I don't need to watch this again. I'm good. Like, I totally know. It just, it was like a delayed reaction. And it's like, it's like all the dialogue and like all the plot was just like, subliminally implanted in my head while I was being absorbed by like being so in it. Right. You know? And um, again, like as a weed movie, that's kind of what it's like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I think it's going to be an underrated weed classic. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it approaches drug use and just the, the surrounding uh, people in a way that people aren't used to and people aren't ready for. You know, it has a, it has like this honesty to it. And I think a lot of that probably comes from 
you know, Pynchon's novel, you know, the source material. Apparently, like, people that had issue with the vibe of that film, that vibe is right there on the page as far as what I hear. I haven't, I haven't read the book, but, you know, I did read, like, the first couple pages, and it, there's something to the quality of the writing. It kind of reads like that opening scene, which uh, that was enough for me to realize, wait a second, all right. It's less a Paul Thomas Anderson film. It's more a Pynchon film. And if you like it or dislike it, it's going to depend on how you feel about Thomas Pynchon or Pynchon or however you say it. But the point being that uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, his his goal clearly was to do Pynchon on the screen or Pynchon or I'm just going to change how I say it every single time I say it. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was more his goal than to make it something that that is a submission to his actual vibe like he he's not going to wrestle it into being a paul thomas anderson anderson thing he's going to expand his horizons and go into a pension horizon you know yeah yeah that makes sense and it's kind of rare like i mean so many freaking movies are based on books and stuff but rarely do they get it right you know a lot of the time it feel to me it feels like they shouldn't even exist like it's kind of like i'm one of those people who really likes Alan Moore's writing and hates that all of the movies were made and all this stuff. And um, it's just because it's just so hard to capture a vibe. And sometimes it feels like they wrote stuff, you know, specifically to be a book and not to be something else. And uh, it's cool that like that movie is one of the few, you know, <laughs> at least it's what it sounds like. Yeah. And it has that feeling like you, you read a novel afterwards where you're like, well, I yeah. don't know that I got everything. But I got to it's a destination dense. and maybe I'll read it again someday or maybe I'll just talk about it with friends who have read it. It really does, though. Like I said, it's got this delayed reaction because I don't I don't feel like I don't understand anything that happened. It's just it takes a second to set in, you know. Yeah. Um, and I feel like like I said about, you know, how how like the better weed movies are less about the jokes and more about using weed as a metaphor for real life stuff. I think that that's a different kind of one where it's like, or it's like, well, you know, real life kind of like it sweeps you up and you're so caught up in it that you kind of don't really even, sometimes you don't even know what's going on. You're just kind of like, fuck, you know, like, cause the present isn't like planned out. It's not like you, you just like know what's going to happen. You're just like, you're just kind of in the whirlwind of it. And and that it, it did a really good job of being done in a way where it showed that what that feels like. like yeah. And also of, it captured a, uh, a time of, uh, you know, the sixties into the seventies. Exactly. That, yeah. That I don't think is, is very often captured. I mean, Thomas Pynchon, he, he witnessed a sort of turning of a, a decade into another decade that I don't, I guess isn't really depicted much because I remember there was sort of like a, it's not the 60s stereotypes and it's not the 70s stereotypes. It's almost like this melding of like transition. Yeah, I And I thought that, yeah, that was like a, that was like a really interesting aspect of it. It was like, I know I, the stuff that I didn't like about it, I didn't think that like, I didn't like it because I could have improved it. I just didn't like it because it's just not for me. You know, it's, it's right. for somebody who's like 50 or 60 years old who remembers that specific transition time, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. And I, what I really like about the way it depicts the time is just like, it's like romanticized and not romanticized at the same time. Because mm -hmm. like it, a lot of stuff that happens is really weird and gross and like kind of real in like a shocking way. Like the thing with the lady's teeth and stuff like that. 
you know, like I don't want to spoil it, but you know what? I, you do remember that part? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, just like there's just all these things that are like it's beautiful because he's high and because it's the '60s and they have that style, but it's also ugly because people are doing fucked up shit because they're all high. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's not. Um, it doesn't have that quality of like that. Uh, the '50s suffered from this, and in the '70s and the '80s where. They looked back on the 50s as like, oh, wasn't this like an awesome fucking time? And then, you know, it wasn't until later that you see, you know, movies like Todd Haynes, Far From Heaven, that like look back on it in a different way. You watch Happy Days and then you watch Far From Heaven and you get a, a very different take of the 50s. Yeah. One of my favorite movies that depicts like a time kind of like that and like kind of like the a transition is uh, With Nal and I. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I remember... I that was that was one that people really dug for a while and it's not talked about as much for some reason. That movie is amazing. I I, I love and I'm saying that I'm not saying that like from the untrustworthy Chloe like having seen it years ago and just remembering it wrong thing. I, personally I'm I've never been a huge like, fan of it, but people that love it fucking love it. it. Well, I just I don't know. I think it's done really well. I saw it on the big screen like twice, like probably because my like the Alamo really likes it for some reason. So, uh, and they've, and the people have written about it, a birth movies, death and all that. But like, um, I just really like the, it's like the guy has the realization, you know, that he can't do this forever. Like the, that he can't just like, you know, fuck around and be a stoner for, it's like very timeless. Like a lot of people, yeah, that's a know, good comparison actually to, uh, to inherent vice because it, it is yeah. like sixties into seventies, you know? Yeah. It's really timeless. Like, because it's like, yeah, it may be 60s into 70s, but this it's kind of, I think, what a lot of people are going through with the whole like millennial generation or whatever, like the whole like 20 somethings, like there are a lot of them are realizing right now that they can't just like dick around and that they have to like start being adults and all this stuff. And like, it seems like even though it's an older film, it, it kind of has the same the same kind of uh, revelations in it that a lot of people, I think that's part of why they played it so much recently is like, I don't know if they knew it deep down but, or if they knew it consciously, but I feel like maybe subconsciously they thought people would benefit from it in this time period. Yeah. That's interesting you know? because it's a, it's a, it's a film I remember hearing about a lot, maybe 10 years ago, people were really into it. And then it just seems like it's just not talked about as much anymore, but it's interesting to see that they, they have such affection for it, at least at the the Alamo that you work. Well, at. they were playing it back when the World's End came out, and they were playing a lot of movies um, that were like English movies to like be part of that theme. It was like this one month where they just played a bunch of English stuff, and I realized that a lot of that English stuff had to do with like alcoholism or stoners or just people who were kind of lost and finding themselves. And it, it, I thought that was cool. I think that's part of why I have such affection for the world's end too, is because like, it's the same kind of vibe, but like they surrounded it with so much that was a similar vibe that it was like, it all felt so meaningful that mm -hmm. month. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I kind of wish that they still did that every month, like that kind of like themed vibe. Cause they kind of fell off of doing that and kind of felt more to like catering to uh, just like what's popular, what the audiences wanted based on like what was coming out and less based on like finding something deeper in what was coming out and like, you know. Well, people that uh, want that, that's why they should listen to Smug Film. 
exactly read, a, read the smug film website etc yeah, smug film succeeds at it a lot better we don't care what people want to hear about <laughs> we talk about shit we're passionate about and then we hope that maybe they'll care as much as we do and they'll they'll seek things out with our our steering them towards it you know totally like like there's a lot of movies that i just would not have watched if it weren't for like you greg john and like jenna and everybody else so right on all right well we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back see you soon hello smug film fans did you know that smug film now has a voice mailbox just call the following phone number 718395 and leave a question or a comment about the show along with your name and we may play it on a future episode. Thank you for listening, and now, back to the show. And now, Chloe Peltier, reviewing a movie she's seen parts of while working at the theater. So, um, The Martian looks alright. I just think that it looks too predictable, because it feels almost like... It feels almost like a NASA simulation, because, unlike a lot of other sci-fi, it takes place in our universe, and people who send him to space are NASA. And, you know, people have been talking about the coincidence that we just discovered water on Mars the same week that this came out and everything. Um, And that's cool. It's just that it makes it hard for me to suspend my disbelief about this movie because it feels like nothing bad, like to the point of him dying or something, could really happen to him because we wouldn't want that to happen in our universe. And we want the positive message of we can go to Mars and you can survive if you try to and all these things. And that's great. I'm not faulting the movie for that. I'm just saying that it's hard for me to like put myself in it, ironically, because it's trying to be real. Whereas I think that a lot of sci-fi that doesn't try to be in our universe, you actually can suspend your disbelief more with that. But I'll, uh, I'll see it. And then I'll let you know what I think afterwards. Thanks, Chloe. And now back to the show. All right. And we are back. And now we're going to see what Chloe's going to watch next because she wants to expand her film horizons. And these won't necessarily be Chloe movies as she is inclined to explore. These will be films that will expand her uh, film scope specifically. You know, maybe there'll be Chloe stuff in it, but they aren't like Cria Cuervos they aren't like autobiographies so um <laughs> yeah what do you what are you planning to see next I guess Days of Heaven right off the yeah, bat definitely that's definitely. when you're gonna check out which yeah like we said the visuals it's gonna entrance you like it entrances anybody who sees that fucking movie whether they enjoy the actual movie or not the visuals are just so fucking good like I can't praise it enough even if I tell you that you're still gonna see them and you're gonna be like oh my god these are amazing yeah, it makes me wish that I didn't just have a stupid laptop to watch it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guarantee you it's still going to be impressive. All right, cool. So I'm allowed. I'm allowed to watch it in my bed on my laptop in the dark. It's sure. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm sure so if it's dark enough. What about next? What What else have you been thinking well, about? 
I've been wanting to, uh, since the visit, like it's making me realize, you know, I probably like Shyamalan a lot more than I've ever given him credit for. And well, what have said, you seen by him? Oh God, I've only seen, I really liked Unbreakable and I've seen The Village, but it was like forever ago mm -hmm. and I've seen Signs and it was forever ago. So I barely remember either, either of those. Like Did I remember you see what Sixth happens, Sense? but no, I didn't see Sixth Sense and you've been telling me to watch that. So I think so, that's what all right. I'm so see Sixth Sense. That can be your second one. All right, cool. Because yeah, like one of the other podcasts we were on, you told me to watch Sixth Sense and I still haven't. So yeah, it's well. it's it's fantastic. It's the one that's undeniable, I would say, of his filmography. Like people that fucking rail against him. They have to be like, all right, but Sixth Sense is kind of fucking good. <laughs> yeah. And then they fuck it up for everybody else by just like telling everyone what happens. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. That's the thing about the twist of the movie is that the movie is so well constructed that you know the twist and as you're watching it, you're like, you forget. It's it's that fucking That's really cool. Yeah, you just it's the last thing on your fucking mind. You're just watching things transpire and it's it's just a fantastic fucking film. And it's a shame that, you know, now it's seen as like, all right, well, it's ruined because people know the twist. No, it's not ruined. It's not ruined at all. It, well, it's it's like a Star fantastic Wars. film. Yeah, Star Wars you know, isn't like, ruined by people knowing exactly. what happens in Empire. So why would this yeah. be ruined? Yeah, that's a very good point. It's like you wouldn't have to make the movie if if knowing the ending ruined the whole movie. You know, that'd be lame. All right, so let's think of a, uh, maybe a third one. Three is a good number to close on. Okay. Yeah, well, um, I'm not Jenna, but, you know, John was saying that Rocky is the most good. You want to do Rocky? You could do Rocky. Yeah, I think I should do Rocky. I mean, like, it's kind of sad that I haven't seen Rocky. And if, if anything is like, you know, a classic movie, then that's one of them. I mean, yeah, that would be like even more reason for uh, Jenna to feel guilt for not seeing it if she gets lapped by you, you know? Oh, no, well, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> no, you got to lap Jenna. That's why you should see Rocky. I want to lap Jenna. Lap our, Jenna. We've been trying to get her to watch Rocky <laughs> forever. You got to lap her. Lapping is such a weird, it sounds like, it sounds, it reminds me of like cat drinking milk or like lap dances. No, or, what I mean is you got to run past her. <laughs> I know. I'm talking about stuff. running here. I'm not talking about cats drinking milk. All right. So uh, you're, you're going to see Rocky. Yes. Yes. All right. And I Finally, know somebody watches Netflix Rocky Instant. because of this podcast. Yeah, dude, that one's on Netflix Instant. I almost Sweet. actually started watching it the other day and then I stopped. It's so I good. I didn't even start it. But yeah. You bastard. <laughs> well, Great I'm going to watch film. it. I'm going to watch The Sixth Sense, Rocky, and Days of Heaven. Yes. Sweet. All right. And those will those will definitely expand you a bit. You know, they're not, there's Chloe things in it. I'm not going to spoil what, what's Chloe about Rocky and I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, <laughs> Take two. I'm not going to spoil what's uh, Chloe and Sixth Sense, etc. You're just going to have to watch them. Okay. All right. Yeah. And maybe we'll do another podcast if you've seen those three. And then we'll do another education of Chloe where we'll have you watch another three. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, dude. Who knows? Who knows? That's the future, folks. Who knows? Yeah, man. All right. Thank you all <laughs> for listening. Thank you, Chloe. And I look forward to hearing what you think of those movies. Yeah, man. I'm excited. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.